Welcome to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. Let's dig deep into real-world data breaches of patient information. We'll provide practical, expert advice to help you mitigate risk, understand compliance with privacy laws, and safeguard your clinic against all of the privacy and security threats facing healthcare today. Welcome to Protect Your Practice. This is episode four of the podcast that helps you understand the privacy regulations and what you need to do to keep your clinic safe in this new digital era. This week, we're going to talk about ransomware. Ransomware is a huge threat to clinics across the globe, as well as other organizations. We'll talk about what it is, uh, how it comes into your clinic, and and what does it do once it's in there. Um, We don't go anywhere. Uh, without hearing some clinic tell us that uh, that they've been hit. So joining me this week again, we have Jen Kreiner, a privacy advisor at BrightSquid who works with clinics to establish those compliant policies and procedures that help keep ransomware out. Uh, we have Valerie Fleisch, who is uh, a, the privacy lead at BrightSquid, who helps clinics with those breach reports. When they call in and they, they call us, we get calls every day saying, uh, we think we have a breach. What do we do now? So Val is a big part of that response. And we have Rohit Joshi, Bethis again, Brightsquid CEO, a lawyer with a tremendous uh, long and deep background in privacy compliance matters uh, throughout North America. So uh, glad the whole team is here again. Thanks for tuning in. Let's jump in. Thanks for coming back again for another great discussion about privacy compliance and in clinics. I'm Jeff, and I'm excited to talk about this time. We finally have a real ransomware case, and I, like this is something that comes up a lot. It's hugely important. I remember two years ago, we had a privacy compliance sort of information session booked uh, on a Tuesday night, and on Saturday, the WannaCry ransomware virus shut down the world, um, went around the whole globe, shut down the National Health Service in the in the UK, emergency rooms couldn't operate. 19,000 patient appointments were lost in a week because there was no record of them anymore. Uh, so ransomware is a huge issue. We help clinics see ways to protect their, themselves from that, and, and we get sighs of relief around the room. We, we've actually had people say, thank you, because I, I haven't been able to sleep. So it, it's, it's an important issue. So this is it was actually a business that got hit with a ransomware attack. And we'll talk a lot about how ransomware comes in and what it does and what, what, are, the, what are the implications afterwards. But this this ransomware came in. Uh, it can exist in your network for months. Really, it, it's robotic software that learns your network, learns where data is stored, uh, learns how to follow it and get to the important stuff and lock it up. So in this case patient or client information, staff information was lost. And, and what happens is you get a, you log into your computer and you get a screen that says, nope, uh, pay a ransom to this Bitcoin account and uh, maybe you can have your data back. So, um, so Rohit, can you explain, I mean, you get ransomware on a regular basis on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a separate system uh, that I test a lot of ransomware just to see how, how good it is. So what is it? So um, what it what it is is it's uh, it's a piece of um, software that's you know categorized as malware, which means it's got bad purposes. And what happens is that uh, you will get an email in most cases, or you'll do a download. One of those two things. But what happens when you get that is you click on a link. Once you've clicked on that link, in the background, something has been downloaded to your computer 
which now seeks out other computers in the network and starts to figure out that it can actually lock up that computer. And what I mean by lock up, it's if you can turn it off and turn it back on again, and it will say, I am locked, pay me money to become unlocked. And it's super interesting because the first versions of ransomware are over 25 years old. But (laughs) the thing that's really advanced them is Bitcoin, because now you can pay people anonymously. So before, and this is a real case, the first ver- the first real case of ransomware, they said transfer money to this account. And so, of course, the police went to that account and they found that the owner, they knew he was the guy. It <laughs> doesn't happen anymore with Bitcoin. And so, um, you know, we know multiple cases. So what happens is now that you've got this, it has locked up your servers, it's locked up your local computers, and you have no access to any of your patient information, any of your scheduling, and anything else that's electronic. And so if you pay, do they give you your information back? Uh, I'll say most of the time. So most of the time, and like 80, 85% of the time, you'll get your money back. But what's happening now is that the ransomware your itself... Data, not your money. You, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if only you could get your money gone. back. Money is gone. Yeah. And we're now we're seeing about, um, in the clinics that we've heard about, between five and $10,000 is what it costs. Now, that is, in addition to that, you have to pay somebody to get, get rid of it and cleanse your systems. But um, they will give you a code that will then unlock your computers. What we're finding out now, though, is two scenarios of that. The first is you pay the money and the unlock code doesn't work. So that happens in about 20% of the time. The other thing that's happening now is the ransomware just goes dormant. And so then after six months, which is about the time people take to get lax again around backups and everything else, it re-ransoms them. And, of course, because they've already paid once, they feel like it's likely to be paid again. So that's what's ransom. That's what's happening in ransomware. We're seeing so many variants of this that it's actually, I would say, one of the bigger threats that the clinics have to face. We've seen them shut down for three to five days. And it's not just smaller clinics. It's University of Calgary was locked up, and there's a number of other the city large, of Atlanta. City, yeah, city of Atlanta. The NHS, as you've mentioned, it's very, very susceptible. Yeah. So, like Jen, we talk to clinics all the time. How frequent is this in clinics? Uh, we know about about a dozen in Alberta that had been um, held ransom by ransomware. So, wow. so yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that's that's probably uh, that's probably in the last twelve months, and I think it's only a small fraction of what's actually out there. These are just customers who, after they've been hit by ransomware, will call us and say, "Now what?" Yeah, yeah. and to people at conferences and trade shows. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were. Yeah, in fact, it by. was at our training. Uh, you know, I think last time where we said, "Has anyone heard of this?" And most of the hands went up, and someone yelled out, "We've been hit!" Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this it's that real. Yeah, I, sh- I should mention that they weren't. Using our software when they were hit by ransomware. Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So Val, like that, that's my question for you: is how can how can this be prevented? Like, what do we do to help clinics mm-hmm. avoid suffering a ransomware infection? Yeah, I think there's like, well, first of all, be aware of what your risks are, and I think there's sort of two. One is people, you know, yeah, your staff, risk. which again ties into training and having people aware of the risks. The other one is technology. So there's several things you can do. You know, have a good IT provider. Make sure your system is secure, but also with staff, you know, 
uh, make sure that the there's an internet policy, for example, because like Rohit had said, you know, things can be downloaded. And what he's doing is actually perfect. <laughs> so if we get everybody <laughs> to do what Rohit's doing. So some clinics will choose to have a completely separate computer, a workstation where, you know, staff can look up their Facebook email or whatever, if that's okay. You know, it's up to each clinic how they want to handle it. But that's one example. The other one, technology would be, you know, you keep talking about email versus regular uh, regular email versus secure mail sorry so email is where the stuff gets in so if clinics would stop using regular email and switch to secure ways of communication like the price good secure mail that's a big one as well yeah the spamming we, is a big yeah. issue right yeah the, the i mean i think contacts yeah one of the things we try to do in our training is show examples where things look and feel exactly like they've been coming from dropbox or amazon or you name it, that email looks real. When you click on that, that's actually when the pain begins uh, for ransomware because it's downloading in the background and locking your computers up. Yeah. Well, that's the part of our training. Like you said, we will we'll go through, here's the keys, here's the tricks to look for, these are where the clues lie in the ransomware totally. emails. Yeah. And it's taking that minute to think about, mm-hmm. should I click on this? Yeah. And also do have antivirus software. I'm just saying that because oftentimes I, we talk to clinics that don't or they don't even know. Like they'll say, we ask the question, do you have it? Not just the software, but update it. And yeah. we ask the question and the office manager may not even know. They're like, well, probably, but we don't know what it is. And that's, I think that's a problem. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and, and firewalls. And, and, <laughs> and you know, Val, what I do is I try to run my stuff with a virus checker on right. and without. Yep. And even with the virus checker, mm-hmm. the way these things are designed, they'll slip right they'll by. Still and even if they're even updated. If it's yeah, like it's really, really interesting what they've tried to, with what what the hackers have figured out. Mm-hmm. And um and so it'll slip through because it looks like a real piece right. of software. Well and I think sixteen from an email perspective, sixteen million emails get through spam filters every right. day. Right. And eight million of those are clicked because they're engineered to trick you into clicking them. Right. It's it's a big business. It really yeah. is. Now there are some uh, insurance products that we should probably talk about, you know, because there are insurance now against this because there's it's such a massive source of breach and you know, we're all familiar with Fire and flood. And, you know, those of you who have been hit by fire and flood relied on insurance. We're now seeing that for ransomware. Yeah. So that clinics can get some insurance because this is something that it's just one of those threats. Well, it's not included. Your fire and flood insurance, yeah. or your, your business liability or continuity insurance doesn't cover cyber attacks when you're shut down for three to five days. or Does not. Forever in yeah. some cases, right? Forever, there was that yeah. case. Uh, they lost 90% of their patient data. Yeah, for good. So, for good. Yeah. As a clinic, you cannot recover from that. Yeah. And, and what's important is when you say patient data, that includes all appointments. Mm-hmm. So in talking with that clinic, you know, people were walking in that they didn't know had appointments and they have no idea what that patient previous record is. Yeah, nor could they really perform the They the couldn't perform it. Yeah. Because now it's like start over. And you can't call people to oh, say don't come gosh. because you don't know who's coming. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. So, so I think, and so with that, it kind of takes us to us. We've talked a lot about email already in, in our previous discussions, but it just keeps coming up. And you go through the breaches on the OIPC website and you'll see email, email, yeah. email. So the, the next one that I want to talk about, um, 
because it ties in is, is, a, is another phishing attack. So basically someone, again, gained access to somebody's email within the organization um, and, uh, and they don't know what happened. They, they, they know the access was gained. Some stuff happened outside of that, but they're unsure what information was accessed. So like, in that case, Jen, like, what do you do if you're not sure if information, what do you think maybe something bad happened? What do you do? When in doubt, treat it as a breach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because really you want to make sure that you've gone through the steps to make sure that you haven't. Again, just put my ears in la la la. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> thinking. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very much the case. You know, I think that um, the, the, the one thing we know for sure is if you treat it like a breach, so you treat it like with the highest level of focus, it does a couple of things. One is it helps the, tr- the staff understand better because uh, because ultimately this is there is a training component. And the second is if it turns out that something bad did happen, at least you've shown the diligence, right? Because those that are investigating are going to kind of look at this and say, well, what was their reaction? And if the reaction is swift, if it's uh, uh, if it's um, uh, appropriate and swift, I'll tell you, it reduces that sense, uh, it reduces the liability. It just does. Because there is a great opportunity for, from a defense perspective to say, we did everything we could. And if you go to your patient six months afterwards and say, four months ago we found this thing and now we've decided to tell you about it. Yeah. The relationship is toast. And I would, I would assume that you're opening yourself up probably to more of a legal action at Big that time. point because you're yep. super negligent and not informing. Exactly. And if you think about even our sensitivities just around our table, right? We if, if that happened to us, man, like I would be up in arms. Yeah. And and it almost doesn't matter, you know, um, uh, it, of course it matters why the breach happened, but the fact that they were so slow to respond to me breaks the trust even more. Yeah. And how to respond to, right? I think that's a big thing too. Yeah. You have to be really careful how to, you know, <laughs> how to uh, word these emails or however you notify your patients. Totally. Well, so within that sense though, about what's in, like, what's mandatory? Because there are things you have to tell people about when you're informing. Yeah. I mean, the specific details, you know, who was involved, what was breached, what was the type of breach? Was it a access, you know, unauthorized disclosure? Um, what did you do? Like the big part is what did you do yeah. to prevent this from happening again? And I think that's really important because, you know, where we've helped, helped people too, that was important to show they really needed to know that the clinic did put additional measures in place. They thought about it, like you said, Roy, they took it seriously. They didn't just try to cover it up. Yeah. So that's important to tell people we're taking it seriously. We're doing things to make a better to make sure this doesn't happen again in the yeah. future. Yeah. So Val and Jen, you guys hear from clinics all the time. How like how much, how often is email a question? Like when or or how many breaches involve email? Because we've seen a lot. There's a lot of questions. Yeah. A lot, a lot of questions. There's breaches too. I mean, I'd say any sort of disclosure is a big one for breaches. Disclosure to the wrong person, be it with facts 
giving, handing out things or email. And email is common because it's just a com- such a common tool of communication. But there's a lot of questions around email we get. And specifically, you know, is it okay? Again, I know we talked about this earlier. Oh, it's just an appointment. Or, oh, I'm just saying, you know, this is your even your bill, right? Do you think, oh, it's a bill, but still is patient information. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions. And for how sure. easy it is to make that mistake as well. Mm-hmm. It's super easy. So yeah. making sure that you're covered in that aspect of yeah, some type of secure mail is super yeah. important. So and that risk. So the next one, we'll move on to the third because it's again it's connected, and this is emailing the wrong recipient, which we've covered already. <laughs> These things just they keep coming back. So um, hopefully, the more people listen, then then uh, we'll get people um, converted. But um, so this is about an employee forwarding an email containing a. Uh, this in this case, this is from a, a credit union, so this is forwarding a financial application, but it could easily be a, an intake questionnaire or, or anything else that, or you know, test results um, that's getting forwarded to the patient, but they actually uh, they forwarded it to the wrong person, and in this case, it was an autocomplete error, right? So it's uh, I was sending it to Jeff, and I typed J E, and a Jeff email popped up, and I clicked that must be the right one, and hit send. And it was the wrong, the wrong person. So, really, why do people keep using email? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so listen, um, you know, I, this has happened to me. Like I use Outlook, and I've ch- typed J E and sent it to a whole other Jeff. Jeff, <laughs> you know, and that's the truth. Yeah. And so, you know, when we look at how does this happen, the reality is it happens to every one of us. So, to me, that points to a system problem. That's how does Outlook actually work? And it doesn't work the way we need to for private information. It works for people who are convenient. It works for speed. It works for a whole bunch of other stuff. And because we all use it, it's easy to kind of get there. What we've tried to do is, is, is develop system, develop secure mail that tries to match that convenience, but it's fully secure. And the opportunity is, is, is that we don't autocomplete to the wrong person, for example. Now, um, why do people keep using it? I think for those reasons. I think it's a part of how many clinics work. Now, I haven't seen as many medical practices using email. Um, I tend to see that more from the chiros, physios, and dentists that we work with because I think those, those um, systems or those practitioners are more apt to using email, and it's just a part of how they work. Um, unfortunately, those systems aren't secure. And, so, and, and as the scrutiny is increasing, as we talked about in previous podcasts, as the scrutiny is increasing from patients and from the privacy commissioner and from the laws, this is no longer an acceptable alter, uh, uh, way of communicating. Email yeah. just isn't for patients. Yeah. So, so, so then, like Val, you, you mean you, you work with clinics to build the policies and procedures. Hey, how do you guys operate? Well, okay, we're going to do this. And when they say use email, you say no, mm-hmm. um, because we can't submit that in a privacy impact assessment. But um, how, how do you advise clinics to build procedures that would prevent this? Mm-hmm. There's always, every manual will have an email, acceptable email guidelines in there. And so that will very clearly state, you know, do not use regular email to send anything, you know, any patient information. Ideally, nothing at all, because most of what a clinic will send is patient information in that context. So I think the challenge sometimes is a little bit more getting people to adhere to that, or even sometimes, you know, 
the actual healthcare professionals adhering yeah. to it. So I think it's more, and then again, you know, training comes in or just really talking about how important it is and what the consequences are. But yeah, everybody will have a policy in place. You just have to make sure that you actually adhere to it as well and get your staff to adhere to it. And that's where the culture change comes that's, in, right? Yeah, that's the big it's thing. It's the culture change yeah. for the whole clinic. And actually, mm-hmm. at some level, all of us. Yeah, you and know, it's we, a change, right? People it's a change, change. But we have, to be, we have to be vigilant, and the clinics have to be the most vigilant. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the big things is people are like, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was one person, what's the big deal? You can't control where that information goes from there. And I think that that's the big deal, really. If mm-hmm. my, my information got sent somewhere else, that... Who knows where they're going to send it to? What if they used yeah. it maliciously? I've had my identity stolen before. Have you? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of looking at it from a patient perspective. So treating it as every breach is important is, I think, essential. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about volume. It's yeah. no. It's no worse if it's five hundred or five thousand people. Or it's no. Well, it probably is worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at a cost of four hundred dollars per patient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, that's a great point. I think it's it's understanding that a breach is a breach. Yeah. And um, they will all get you business up on the OIBC website. Yeah. yeah. And you will always have to tell the patients and uh, patients will tell everybody. So yeah. yeah, that's important. We need to just make sure that every corner is, is looked at and taking the steps to avoid email mistakes by avoiding email altogether. Yeah. Uh, and use a, use a program like SecureMail that's built with safeguards in place that don't have auto-complete and all that kind of stuff. That's great. Perfect. Well, thanks for that, guys. Very informative, very deep as always. And, uh, and hopefully we're, we're helping people understand more about compliance and privacy and how to be safe. Thanks for listening to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. For a regular dose of privacy insights and tips, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd be honored if you left us a five-star review and shared this episode with your colleagues. Find out how you can get expert privacy compliance support at brightsquid.com and click Privacy Compliance.